2: For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Until later in the decade, the government is out for every penny of tax revenue it can get. Those who have participated in tax avoidance schemes, reportedly including many celebrities such as Gary Barlow, David Beckham and Katie Melior, are an easy target – But lawyers, accountants and some MPs are becoming very concerned about two things. One is the retrospective nature of some of the legal challenges. Many of these schemes now being questioned appeared perfectly legal at the time and in some cases were actually promoted by the government. The other is the very aggressive method of tax collection that the revenue is set to deploy. In particular, what are called accelerated payment notices – These demand payment of disputed tax within 90 days before any legal process to determine whether the disputed tax is actually owed or not has completed. Joining me in the studio is Ray McCann, a partner at law firm Pinsent Mason's and a former senior tax inspector at HMRC. Ray, can we start with some historical background? What are until later in the decade? The government is out for every penny of tax revenue it can get. Those who have participated in tax avoidance schemes, reportedly including many celebrities such as Gary Barlow, David Beckham and Katie Melua, are an easy target. But lawyers, accountants and some MPs are becoming very concerned about two things. One is the retrospective nature of some of the legal challenges. Many of these schemes now being questioned appeared perfectly legal at the time and in some cases were actually promoted by the government. The other is the very aggressive method of tax collection that the revenue is set to deploy. In particular, what are called accelerated payment notices. These demand payment of disputed tax within 90 days before any legal process to determine whether the disputed tax is actually owed or not has completed. Joining me in the studio is Ray McCann, a partner at law firm Pinsent Masons and a former senior tax inspector at HMRC. Ray, can we start with some historical background? What are the FT? Thousands face upfront demands for large amounts of disputed tax as HMRC cracks down on avoidance. Buy-ins, buy-outs and longevity swaps. What's your employer doing with your pension? And the latest venture aimed at spreading financial risk across generations. Welcome to The Money Show, the FT's most downloaded podcast. I'm Jonathan Ealy and I'll be giving you all the money news this week in downloadable form. With the help of my FT colleagues, James Pickford. Hello. And Joe Cumbo, Hello. Plus a special studio guest, Ray McCann of law firm Pinsent Masons. Hi, Jonathan. Earlier this week, HM Revenue and Customs posted a long list of numbers on its website. They are scheme reference numbers for what are known as DOTAS, shorthand for Disclosure of Tax Avoidance Schemes. And for those who have participated in such schemes in the past, an appearance on the HMRC list of numbers could be very bad news indeed. Struggling to contain a fiscal deficit and
1: with a national debt not likely to start falling... Yeah, but generally they were just perhaps one or two individuals who would invest money in an active partnership that ah, was carrying on proper business. But with the advent of limited liability partnerships, some clever people in the market saw opportunities whereby they could use a specific form of finance to boost the amount of tax relief that was being made available by the government in relation to film schemes and, more latterly business property renovation. And basically what they would do is devise schemes whereby an investor could come along put some real money in it, but at the same time there'd be non-recourse or limited recourse financing provided by a bank and that would boost the amount that the investor was seen as having invested in the scheme. So, for example, someone might invest, say, £100,000 of their own money, there would perhaps be another £900,000 of non-recourse financing and they would then be treated as having invested a million pounds in the scheme and able to claim back at marginal rates perhaps £450,000 tax. Was all this legal at the time? Well, in this context, legal is a sort of controversial word, because generally, if you say the scheme is legal, it sort of suggests that the government can't attack it. But of course, the real issue is what the law actually is. And that's where many of these schemes have come unstuck. They've been promoted as being legal, complying with all known laws and fit for purpose and so on. But HMRC have taken issue with that, and in very many cases, in fact almost all cases, they've been very successful in persuading the courts that these schemes are not legal in the sense that they comply with the law as it stands.
2: Let's talk for a moment about these accelerated payment notices. These are a relatively um, recent development. Why are they so controversial?
1: They appear to act on a retrospective basis. So someone who did a tax scheme 10 years ago, if the tax scheme has still not been agreed with the revenue, can now be asked to pay that tax it's described as upfront, but in reality someone who did the scheme years ago and got the relief years ago is paying it years after the event. Uh, and it's that aspect which has caused so much concern with people because individuals have gone into these schemes on the basis that a particular tax outcome will arise, they'll pay the tax if they lose in court for example they'll pay the tax then and all of a sudden they're finding that the revenue are able to ask them for in some cases many millions of pounds, well before any court or tribunal has actually decided whether or not the tax planning actually works.
2: All the attention in the mainstream media has focused on the sort of celebrities, the Michael Caines and Placido Domingos and so on. Were all the investors in these schemes very well-off
1: people and, and famous people? It's presented as though it's just the rich and the famous it's, it's not actually a fair representation. Of course, you know, lots of rich people are being identified as associated with these schemes. And over the years, lots of rich people have always been identified with tax planning. But there's big segments of the tax planning and tax avoidance industry that have targeted ordinary people. And finally, if your scheme number is on that uh, HMRC list, what should you do? Well, one of the other controversial aspects of that list and the whole approach is that the taxpayer has got no appeal. They can make representations to HMRC about the amount but at the end of the day if HMRC decide that the taxpayer is due to pay X then they've no real alternative but to pay X unless they want to go through a process of judicial review and challenge the actual law itself. That will obviously be uncertain and would take time to be resolved. It would be possible in some cases, perhaps many cases, to negotiate arrangements with HMRC as regards how the tax actually gets paid. And the rules themselves build in a period of time from the issue of the notice until such times as it needs to be paid. But much will depend on how HMRC actually exercises the power. Thanks very much. That was Ray McCann of
2: Pinsent Masons. We've a full Q&A on accelerated payment notices in this weekend's FT Money, and there's lots more about the great tax controversy on our website at ft.com forward slash money. Still to come on the show, it's described as Britain's first new building society for 30 years, but is it really offering anything new? First, though, let's look at buy-ins, buy-outs and longevity swaps. What on earth are those, I hear you ask? Well, they're financial transactions designed to reduce the burdens and risks to an employer of running a final salary pension fund. That's the sort where benefits must be made until a former employee dies. Such transactions are becoming increasingly common, and if you're a member of the said pension fund, they may affect your security and benefits in retirement. The biggest deal so far took place earlier this month when telecoms giant BT agreed a £16 billion longevity swap with a US insurance company to reduce the risks in its £47 billion pension fund. Other household name companies, such as cable and wireless, Rolls-Royce, AstraZeneca and BAE Systems have also made similar moves to de-risk their pension liabilities. And more deals look likely. Rising longevity and low investment yields mean that maintaining defined benefit pension schemes, even if they're closed to new joiners, is a fraught business. Finance directors would much rather concentrate on running the company, not worrying about the pension fund deficit. But where does such financial engineering leave you, the employee? Joining me to explain is FT Pensions correspondent Joe Cumbo. Joe, buy-ins, buy-outs and longevity swaps, what's the difference between all of these things?
3: Well, let's start with buy-ins. Normally, uh, your employer or former employer and the pension scheme trustees are responsible for making sure pension promises are honoured when you retire. Now, under a uh, buy-in, the employer is still responsible for your pension. But if you live longer than expected, the insurer steps in to pay your pension. So that takes a little bit of that risk off the hands of the employer. But in a buyout the company winds up its pension scheme and hands responsibility for paying the pension promises to an insurance company and all links with the former sponsor and trustees are severed and the scheme member is issued with a contract from the insurance company so that is the most extreme form of de-risking.
2: Now, it's pretty clear why companies would want to do this. Running pension schemes is very expensive for them. But Who looks after the interests of the members in all of this? And do members even have to be consulted about such changes? No,
3: just to start with the uh, last part of your question there. Members don't have to be consulted, but they will, in the case of a buyer, you will be told after such a deal has been arranged because the insurance company will take over payment of your benefits. But uh, trustees have uh, a duty to look out for members interests in these deals which are are very complex and they can run for many months so they've got a very important job for for making sure that uh, in the buyout situation for example that all the benefits such as income and spousal uh, benefits that uh, an individual may be building up are correctly transferred to the insurance company and written into a contract.
2: And how do we know that the trustees are up to the job?
3: There have been lots of concerns raised about whether or not they're equipped. Many trustees are not professionals at these kind of jobs. They, they do it because they're interested in the pension scheme. They're working for the company. They don't have an accounting background. They're not uh, investment specialists. So in these kind of deals, concerns have been raised that many of these trustees are, are out of their depth. What companies tend to do is hire professional advisers during these deals to help trustees make the right decisions and keep them on course. But even when advisers are on board, trustees can find themselves facing a lot of pressures which may compromise their requirement to safeguard members' interests.
2: And if your um, pension scheme is transferred to an insurance company, is that likely to lead to a reduction in your benefits or are they legally protected?
3: the terms of your pension should remain the same as set out in the scheme when they transfer over to the insurance company but in reality uh, that process of transferring your benefits over there can be and there has been situations where disputes have arisen later on with members claiming that what's been put into the insurance contract wasn't what they were promised earlier on by their pension scheme so that data transfer exercise is very important. In theory, you shouldn't suffer any loss in income and there has been instances only recently where pensioners' income has actually increased after a buyout situation.
2: If you're in a conventional final salary scheme and the sponsoring company goes bust, you're protected to a degree by the PPF, the Pension Protection Fund. If your scheme transfers to an insurance company does that protection carry on?
3: Well protection does carry on but within the scope of a different regulator. When you move to an insurance company it's the financial services compensation scheme which will pay benefits in the event that the insurer goes bust. Now the financial services compensation scheme will pay 90% of benefits to all members whether you're a pensioner, retired or those even building up their savings still. it's are more common for schemes uh, with retired rather than active members.
2: And finally, uh, it's very unlikely, I guess, that a big insurer would go bust, but is anybody checking on the sort of financial strength of these institutions before pension funds are transferred into them?
3: There is no requirement on trustees to do due diligence on the financial strength of the companies that the employer wants to do business with. What happens in the the UK is that there is a a regulatory regime. We have the Prudential Regulatory Authority, which sets solvency and capital requirements which all businesses... Businesses must meet. But that doesn't mean that there hasn't been casualties in this buyout business. Recently, as four or five years ago, three companies were forced to put their businesses up for sale after they had to close their doors.
2: Thanks very much, Joe. We take a detailed look at the issue of pension risk transfers in our cover feature this week, focusing in particular on the rights of the employee in such situations. FT Money is part of the Weekend FT, which is on sale on both Saturday and Sunday, and you can read online at any time. Just go to ft.com forward slash money. The Weekend FT is also available on mobile devices via a free web app in both Apple and Android versions. And we're always keen to hear your views. You can leave comments on articles on our website, or you can email us directly. The address is money at ft.com. On to our final item for today – The Office for National Statistics said this week that house prices continued to climb, especially in the capital, where they are up 20% in the year to May. As the cost of housing in particular marches ever higher, more and more families are being forced to either continue playing host to their grown-up children or find other ways to support them financially as they make their own way in life. The most obvious way to do that is just to give them money – But often, working parents are not yet in a position to do that. They may still have significant financial commitments of their own, including, for instance, mortgages or younger children to support. Into this space have stepped various financial institutions with new products designed to allow parents to support their children financially. And a new such venture launched this week. James Pickford is here to tell
0: us more. So, James, what exactly is the Family Building Society? Well, it's a new arm of the National Counties Building Society, uh, which is based in Epsom and has been around since 1986. This has launched this new brand, the Family Building Society, as a way of appealing to those people who, perhaps in their 50s or 60s, want to help their children get onto the property ladder without just handing over the money. And what are its main products? I guess it's, it's, it's around mortgages, isn't it? Absolutely. Its main product is the family mortgage which works by creating a savings account into which the parents deposit money and uh, which, incidentally, pays them interest along the way. And those savings are used as security for the mortgage. The buyer needs a minimum deposit, equivalent to 5% of the value of the home, which is lower than a lot of lenders would require these days. And that also helps keep the mortgage payments down. In addition, family members can also forego their interest on the savings to lower mortgage payments further. The other product it's got going is a mortgage aimed at those who are trying to sort of cope financially after a divorce or perhaps during some sort of family upheaval like a period of maternity leave or paternity leave and this works by keeping payments low for the first few months and, and years changing gradually from an interest only to a repayment mortgage in the third year.
2: Let's talk about the family mortgage for a moment. It sounds a bit like a, an offset product, but is it wise for a family or for people in their 50s and 60s to entangle their own financial affairs with those of their children? And if not, are there other ways of supporting children financially without doing that?
0: Well, it's worth mentioning that there are already products on the market that do this sort of thing. Woolwich uh, offers loans against a minimum 5% deposit if if relatives can put into a savings account, and and Aldermore, which is another lender, allows parents to guarantee up to 100% of their child's mortgage. But with all these schemes, there is the ultimate risk that um, if the child defaults on the payments, you lose your money and you see the property repossessed. That is the nature of collateral. But building societies and other lenders are keen to stress that they would hope to identify these payment problems well before that stage and could work out a new plan for repayments. The other thing to bear in mind on the family mortgage is that you have to hold the savings in the account for 10 years unless that is the loan falls below 75% of the property value. There are plenty of other ways of helping your children get onto the property ladder and you can pay the deposit, you can guarantee their mortgage in the way I just mentioned, you can perhaps buy a place together with your child or, or think about buying a second home Um, for them uh, to live in as a buy-to-let property. Uh, But the main thing is that you consider what your own needs are. You may not need the money now, but will you need it in a few years' time, in retirement, say? And it's also wise to look very closely at the implications of any commitments you make with your children for inheritance tax purposes. But in principle, the family mortgage idea will appeal to some people as it gives them the helping hand their children need without simply signing a cheque over to them.
2: And finally, just on the subject of house prices, we keep hearing that the mortgage market review, which came in at the end of April, is going to dampen down the market. There's talk of interest rate rises on the horizon. But is there any
0: evidence of that happening? It sounds like the property market is still storming ahead. Well, as you said earlier, and house prices are continuing to rise, with the national rate hitting 10.5% in May which is a four-year high, but forward-looking data does give some hints that London's extraordinary growth rate is beginning to slow. Data out from the Royal Institution of Chartered Surveyors last week found that demand from buyers in London fell in June for the second successive month and that their expectations of future rises were falling too. So there are signs of a shift taking place where London is stabilising while the rest of the country uh, is seeing a bit more growth. As for the mortgage market review... It doesn't seem to put much of a dent in the market for first-time buyers or home movers. These rose by respectively 8% and 9% in May. The Council of Mortgage Lenders, which collects this data, said that there had been no cliff-edge effect as a result of MMR. And that's largely because it's been so long in the works that lenders have had literally years to prepare for it.
2: OK, thanks very much, James. And don't forget, you can check on the latest Best Buy mortgage rates in FT Money's databank section each week. And if you're a real house price junkie, check out FT.com's special page devoted to the UK housing market. That's at ft.com forward slash UK house prices. Elsewhere in this week's paper, we look at why discounts on investment trusts are at their lowest level for 40 years, why one of the UK's most popular small companies funds has cropped up in a survey of serial underperformers, and with the latest in our Young Money series about the financial challenges facing young people. John Redwood updates on his passive investment portfolio, and we talk to Naked Wine's founder Rowan Gormley, who thinks that investing in wine is a mugs game. The Money Show will be back next week. But for now, it's goodbye from me, James, Joe, and our special studio guest, Ray McCann.
0: For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rustolium's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from rust
2: This Mother's Day, treat mom to healthy, glowing skin with Osea's limited edition skincare sets. Osea has been making clean, seaweed-infused products for nearly 30 years.